We've had a, a really unusual time uh, in the Lord in our church, and it's just been absolutely amazing what the Holy Spirit's been doing uh, with us, through us, to us. And um, it would just take a long time to tell you, but somewhere around the middle of January, God came to Covenant Church, and, uh, and he's been hanging around. And, and it's made a difference. And somewhere in that time, uh, as we were, we were going along, uh, one of the guys in our church who was an incredible musician and an incredible worshiper uh, looked at the man who was facilitating our meetings, and he said, he said, I don't think it's going to be business as usual. I think it's going to be business as unusual. And, uh, and we've had these encounters with the Lord that have been just absolutely transforming to be in the presence of God and uh, to be overwhelmed by that presence. And then we have a Sunday night worship service that we just call Going for God. And um, we, we just go for God. And it's not about anybody else. It's about Him. It's not about how good we do it. It's about how much He wants it. And, and He gave me a picture of that old uh, star-kissed commercial, you know, where Charlie is down underneath the water and he's all dressed up in his tux and he's either doing classical music or ballet or playing the piano and concertos or something. And uh, they keep passing him by and the sign that comes down says, sorry, Charlie, Starkiss doesn't want tuna with good taste. It wants tuna that tastes good. And what we're discovering is that God wants worship that has a good taste to him. And many times people will come and say, you know, I didn't like that worship song. And, and we say, well, here's the deal. It, it wasn't for you anyway. <laughs> and so it's about him, you know. And, and God, has, God has weird tastes. Likes a, he likes a lot of stuff that you and I don't like, you know, and he likes a lot of people you and I don't like, too. And, um, and he makes it this way. He says, you want to hang out with me, you got to hang out with him. I just say, God, he's a Baptist. He says, yeah, I know, <laughs> but he says, but he's hanging with me, so, I mean, you, you want to go along with me or you want to stay back there with the Pentecostals? And I said, I said, I, I want to, uh, I want to unpack that that question. That when you say go with you or stay back there with them, does that mean you're not going to be back there with them? <laughs> and uh, he said, Do you know what the meaning of is is? And I said, <clears throat> I said, I do now, sir. But just today, as we were coming uh, to Chattanooga, and um, we had uh, had an occasion to pray because that's what we always do when we put our luggage on the planes. And so the prayer meeting starts there. It doesn't start on the plane. It starts when we see the luggage go. We say, Lord, till we meet again. You know? so there, was, there was that guy, you know, he's standing at the counter, and he said to the ticket agent, he said, I want... I want a ticket to Los Angeles, but I want my bags to go to Alaska. 
And she said, we don't do that. He said, you did it last week. And so, so we, we, have, uh, we have great opportunities to intercede. We, we went to Nigeria, and, uh, and we were in this, these incredible services, and everybody's luggage got there but Barbara's. And uh, the day before we left, her luggage showed up. And so traveling is an interesting thing. It's, it's wonderful to, to get somewhere when you're going. And, and then when you look at some of the planes that you have to fly on, it, it increases your prayer time. Just. But as we were sitting in the waiting room, waiting for our, our little um, propeller plane to take off to come here, I said, man, I really want to go to that meeting bad because I don't like flying on these things. And, and I saw a friend walk by, Ray Bakke, an incredible urban missiologist, and, um, and we just began to talk. We, we renewed our friendship, and we've been supporting their ministry for a number of years. And as we talked, we began to talk about the various things that were, were taking place. And, um, and I'd just been talking about Ray the night before, uh, citing a quote that, that Ray shared with us. And, um, and then to see him that day, after talking about him the evening before. It was just very exciting. And so we were sitting there discussing, of all things, the Muslim faith. And it was, it was absolutely interesting to me because when you get on the little planes, you, you want leg room, and there generally isn't any. And so I asked if I could change my seat. She said, you could change yours, but your wife won't be able to change hers. And I like sitting next to her. So I said, what seat do I have? And she said, you have 6D, she has 6F. Well, guess who's sitting across from me on the plane? It's Ray Bakke. And so we continue this discussion about the Muslims and, and, and our approach to them and how ministry ought to be done. And then Barbara reminded me of a, uh, a prophetic word that had been given to us several years ago that God was going to work in our lives to reach Muslims. And so as you introduced Leif, is it Leif or Leif? Leif. How do you spell it? L-E-I-F. Okay. Uh, so when you introduced Leif, I told your Barbara, I said, I, we need to get Leif to pray for us because I, I believe in synchronicity. I, I believe that in, in God, things come together, and when they come together, that's the time to go for the thing. It's like some people stand around and they look. There are three kinds of people, those who watch things happen, those who make things happen, and those who say, what happened. And, um, and the, the scriptures declare that the challenge that Israel faced was that they did not recognize the moment of their visitation. And the problem with the church is that we are too often missing visiting moments because those moments don't always come like we think they ought to come. And so when I'm in a moment in which all of these various pieces are coming together, because God works out scenarios in different ways. He's, he's doing something over here. In seminary, they, the word that they taught us was collocation. You remember that word, collocation? Well, I went to a Reformed Presbyterian seminary, so maybe they didn't use it in, in your seminary. But uh, collocation, I said, what does that mean? He said, he, he, and then the professor, who was a real down-to-earth guy, he said, you ever watch the A-team? I said, yeah. He said, you know the different scenarios that they work out when they're trying to get an event going and they've got one guy over here doing something, got the crazy guy putting together uniforms and, and they've got Mr. T doing something else and all of them have, a, have an assignment. And then 
When each assignment is fulfilled and they bring all the pieces together like a drama, George Papard, at the close of it, you remember he would stand there and he'd do this and he'd say, he says, I love it when a plan comes together. Now, I think when you begin to see events and incidents that take place and they have that kind of quality, I had no idea that Ray was going to be coming to Chattanooga and that I would be sitting across from him and the discussion would become very interestingly oriented around Muslims and, uh, and that you would introduce Leif who is moving with great power and ministry in that setting. I'm, I'm saying, you know, I don't want to be dumb, but I think God's doing something, you know. <laughs> yes, sir. A plan is coming together. So at, at some point in time, it would be great if, um, if Leif could pray, pray for us. I would, I would deeply appreciate that. All right, do you have your Bibles? May I see them? Good. All right, the person next to you does not have a Bible. I want you just to take a moment and look at them with awe. Just, just be impacted by it. And then, and then say these words. My God, you've already memorized this thing. All right, just... <laughs> I want you to go with me, please, to the book of Revelation. I will tell you where I'm reading. Because I like to know myself, you know. <clears throat> I just happened to know where he was reading because I'd been studying that passage just a few days ago. And I leaned over and I very learnedly spoke to my wife and told her where it was. Luke... Luke, Luke, trust the force. All right. Don't you remember that? I think what God is saying to the church is, Church, church, trust the Holy Spirit. But we have pneumophobia. It's our problem. Are you in uh, chapter 4 of the book of Revelation? That's where I am. Uh, it's all good, so you could just go wherever you want, you know, but this is where, this is where I'm going to be. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit. Would you say that? Immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and several were sitting on the throne. What does your Bible say? Let me fix mine. All right. Really, mine says the same thing. One sitting on the throne. He who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. 
The first creature was like a lion, the second creature like a calf, the third creature had a face like that of a man, the fourth creature was like a flying eagle, and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. Day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, to the 24 elders, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. And would you go with me to the book of Hebrews? The book of Hebrews. I'm at chapter 12. Verse 18. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them for they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those who did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then. And his voice shook the earth then. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. Let us show gratitude. Come on, let's say that. Let us show gratitude. Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And then I need you to look at two passages in the Gospels. You're familiar with them. And... Um, <clears throat> Let me just uh, let me just find a good one here. Go to uh, oh, let's see. Go to how about Mark? And I'm. Uh, let's go to chapter fourteen of Mark, and then we'll go to John twelve. And I, I'm, it is my hope to bring together in just a few moments uh, 
some thoughts that I, I trust will, will impact us. Mark 14, verse 3. Everybody there? Okay. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper. I need to pause here. Does anybody have a nickname you can't get rid of? You know, you're, you're 60 years old and people still call you Bubba. Or Junior. I mean, understand that if Jesus is coming to the home of somebody by the name of Simon the leper, it probably ought to be Simon the former leper. Or, or can you imagine a leper inviting people to a party and getting a pretty good attendance? It's just, it's just beyond me here. Well, while... While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard. She broke the vial, poured it over his head, but some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor, and they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She's done a good deed to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Verse 10 says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests, in order to betray him. I think it would be a mistake to separate his going off from what took place earlier. I think Judas looked at all of this and said, like a lot of people who have come into your spheres of life and ministry, and they have, they have beheld your hunger for God and your, your passion and your love for him, and they've looked at your worship. They have beheld your devotions. And they have essentially said, that's more church than I want. Too much church. Don't need all of that. I left that behind when I went to college. John 12. This is the last account. And by God's grace and mercy, it will be the last scriptures that I torment you with. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Would you say that? The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore Jesus said, 
let her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me with you. I, I want to... I want to explore something that at best for me is, is what I'm, I'm calling quantum worship. Quantum worship. It's only been a few, few years that, that I understood to some degree just what quantum meant, let alone that it was out there. And there are people who could, here in this room, I'm sure, who could say a whole lot more about quantum than, than I, I can. Uh, I took Hebrew in, uh, in seminary, and I took Greek. I think Hebrew took me. Uh, but, but I made it through, and I had to memorize irregular verbs because there was no rule for them. And, uh, and I woke up with my, with my chest hurting one day, and I went into the bedroom, and I said, Honey, my chest is hurting. And she looked at me, and she said, Is that Hebrew? So the only Hebrew I know now runs a delicatessen around the corner from me. And I utilize the Hebrew stuff in my computer to a great extent. Quantum is a whole lot like that. Quantum, I used to think, was an Indian word. But then later on, I found out it was. It's a mathematical term. But once in a while, I'll say things, and it'll just do like that. And when I realize that it has, I'll just do that, which is an indication. I think that went over your head, and I'll just keep right on going. And you can go back to the tape and, and listen. But I had a moment in which I thought I would do some reading on leadership. And so I picked up a book entitled Leadership in the New Science, Discovering Order in a Chaotic World by Margaret Wheatley. Margaret Wheatley is a consultant who works with Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 100 companies, has spent a lot of time analyzing organizations and seeing how they work and why they work and why they don't work. And somehow she was, she was encouraged by some of her associates to begin to look at the world of quantum physics. And quantum physics is an incredibly interesting world. Just the things that I've learned about quantum physics uh, are positioning me in such a way that I'm, I'm looking at the scriptures and I'm looking at quantum physics and I'm, I'm thinking, Lord, I, I think I see what the problem is. Because one of the, one of the pieces in quantum physics is a, is a basic question. Is matter a particle or is it a wave? And the answer is yes. The answer is, what do you want it to be? And if you set up your experiment to see if matter is a particle, it will behave as a particle. And if you set up your experiment to determine if matter is a wave, it'll behave as a wave. And then the guys are saying to us, and if you try to trick it, it'll work out what it is you think it wants, you want it to be. And it'll become that. <laughs> I, I, I felt like the, the two hillbillies who were discussing the most significant invention in the world. And uh, the guys, one guy said, I think it's the television. He said, I think the television is a good invention, but I don't think it compares with the thermos bottle. And he said, why thermos bottle? He said, well, look, you can put hot things in it and they stay hot and put cold things in it and they stay cold. He said, so what is so phenomenal about that? He says, yeah, but 
I do it now. <laughs> and and, and it, it's the way I feel about this book. I mean, you, you can have your worst day and open your Bible and your devotions and you start reading and it'll talk to you. I mean, just so you, you, you could have, my wife and I don't argue, but we do have intense moments of fellowship. And, um, and I've had an intense moment of fellowship with her and then go right to the Bible and just open the Bible and say, God, I'll do it. No, I mean, just... This is a living book. It is alive. Look, it's the only book, as old as it is, of this kind whose author is still alive. And so, when, when you start... You, you start reading this book and the author talks to you. He just talks to you. I mean, and then there's something else about it. There are a lot of people saying, well, I don't understand that. Well, one of the problems with understanding this book is that it's hard to understand it before you have the experience. Now, I know that's going to rankle a few people, but it's okay. You've been rankled before <clears throat> by even better people than me. But here's the challenge that we face, and this is the challenge. I believe Jesus had a specific method by which he taught his disciples, and the same writer uh, who wrote that, that great book that you quoted from wrote to Theophilus, another prominent person in the Greek world. And he said, I want to write to you about all the things that Jesus began both to do and teach. Say do and teach. Now, what's the Western method? Teach and do. What's the Jesus method? Do and teach. In other words, first he does you, and then he taught you what he did to you. You go through something. You go through something, and you go, and you can't figure out what's going on, and you you get messed up and blessed and all that stuff, all at the same time. And then you come out of that, and you open your Bible, and you start reading. You say, "My God, there it is, right there." Well, well, why didn't you see it before? Because you didn't have an experience. Because what we're saying is that I want to understand this. And the psalmist says, no, no, no. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and that his mercy endures forever. It, it's not, oh, figure out. It doesn't say, oh, think. What it says is, think on his goodness. But you've got to experience his goodness in order to think about it. What's God done for you lately? And when you start thinking about that, what does this taste like? What does the baptism of the Holy Spirit taste like? What's joy of the Lord? And, and, and the, the, the challenge that we're facing is that we're trying to, to, to describe things that are indescribably delicious to people who've never tasted it before. What's it like? Well, ask Peter. When you ask Peter, Peter, what's it like? He said, it's... Um, it's a sort of a je ne sais pas, sort of a come see, come ça, sort of a... Uh... Oh, he said, it's joy unspeakable. And, and on top of it being unspeakable, it's full of glory. 
say, now look, can I tell you something? If you, if you can't speak something, it's unspeakable. And if you add unspeakable to something that you don't even know how to describe because it's called glory, the best thing that people can respond when glory comes and touches them, and you'll, you, you can tell it in any meeting, you, they'll, they'll just say, glory. What happened to you? I don't know, but it's just the only word that fit in that moment was glory. Glory. People walk along and when the glory hits them, they just say, glory, glory. Are you all right? Glory. I mean, it's just, there is no other word for it. So we, we live in this, we live in this rational world that has been that's been foisted on us by rational scholars and essentially our seminary professors are Aristotelian who have boxed our world up such that all we are left with is what you can sense and what you can feel. And anything outside of that, as far as they're concerned, doesn't exist. And then along comes an experience that violates all the things that are out there, uh, violates everything that you've learned, violates everything that you've been reading about. It, it destroys all of your paradigms and you're trying to figure it out. And what God does is he just, he just lets you wander in the wilderness for a while. What you doing? I don't know. Just Where's God? I don't know. Last time I saw him, he hit me real hard and I got up and nobody talks to me anymore. <laughs> Would you rather go back? No, no. I'd rather be... No. I'd rather be locked up with what I have now than turn loose with what I used to have. You know, just... So the, the, the problem with quantum is, is this constant juxtaposition of paradox. Is it a wave? Is it a particle? And so a man by the name of Heisenberg came up with a principle called the uncertainty principle, which says the mere act of observing something changes it. Oh, oh look, let me just tell you. I'll give you an example. Acts chapter 2. You should all know this, this verse by heart, at least. Be coming to know it by heart. And when the day of Pentecost was... This is King James translation. This is the one that... Come on. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. The sound filled the house. The sound filled the house. What's the source of the sound? Where did it come from? Heaven. Now, these are men who are sitting around in a room waiting for something called the Holy Ghost. Waiting for someone called the Comforter. Waiting for something called power. They're told to stay there until they are endued with power from on high. Terry in Jerusalem. So they're waiting. How do you wait? for something and you don't know what it is you're waiting for. What does it look like? I don't know. Well, what is it? The Holy Ghost. Yeah, but what's the Holy Ghost? 
Well, it's the comforter. Yeah, but what's the comforter? Well, it's the spirit of truth. What's the spirit of truth? It's the paraclete. I mean, you've you got all kinds of words for it. But nobody knows what it is. Nobody knows who it is. They don't even know if it's a who or a what. And so they're waiting. They're just waiting. And they're doing what Jesus told them to do. And then here comes this sound. The day of Pentecost fully comes. Here comes a sound. A son- it's a sonic experience. You can feel this thing. The sound sounds like a rushing mighty wind. The sound fills the room. The sound of this choir and the, 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 the musicians, that sound filled the room. You could feel the sound. You could feel sound. It filled the room. Now they're, they're looking at one another because it's not a hurricane. Nothing's moving around. There are no chairs flying. And, but the sound, it's a rushing mighty wind. Under circumstances when they hear a sound like that, people run for cover. But nothing is, it's just the sound. And they are, they're fastened in their seats by it. And then suddenly, one guy is sitting in the room and he looks across the room and he's staring at a guy across the room. And the guy says, why are you staring at me? He says, you won't believe it. You just, you just won't believe it. He says, no, I'll believe it. You've been staring at me for the last five minutes. He says, oh, I'm going to tell you, you got fire on your head. He said, I do not. He says, you do. He says, I've been, he says, ever since I sound came in the room, I have been looking at fire on your head, man. You got fire on your head. He says, what do you think it means? I don't know what it means. Well, what do you think it means? I don't know what it means either. I just think it's Whoa, what was that? I never said that before. What an experience. Where'd the sound come from? Heaven. But then some observers came in. Is it, a, is it a particle? Or is it a wave? Is it God? Or is it, is it a party? Yes. Oh, yes. It's God. And it's a pate. But they begin to mock. And, and, and you hear you have this whole dynamic going on. People observing something that had its origin in heaven, looking at it and declaring that it wasn't from heaven. Calling it foolishness. They are marveling at it and looking at the people who are experiencing it and giving them labels as well. Quantum. And what I love about God is that God doesn't get up tight when people look at what he's doing and they don't believe it. You know, I've thought about this on a number of occasions. I'm sure you have too. Would you have chosen speaking in tongues to demonstrate your first presence of power on the earth, knowing how people were going to feel about it in the 20th century? You know, it's, it's, to me, it's like, it's like Jesus' mother, John 2, remember John 2? Jesus' mother comes, they're at, the, they're at the wedding, and they come to Jesus. Mary comes to Jesus and says, uh, they've run out of wine. And uh, one of the reasons you can tell when they run out of wine is that people leave. And so, 
this is going to be a disaster. They've run out of wine. And so Jesus looked at his mother and he said, but what does it have to do with you and me, mother? Why is that our concern? And he said, and besides, my hour has not yet come. And so Mary didn't get an attitude. There were several places that she could have gone. I'm your mother, boy. You don't know what I went through. I will never get my good name back. Every time people look at me and see in you, and you telling me, what does that have to do with us? Just, oh, there were several places she could have gone. She, <laughs> she didn't go to any one of those places. You know what she did? She said to the servants, just go stand in front of him. Just go, just go stand there. And whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Just, just do it. And so they, they do that. And of course, Jesus looks at him. And even though he said, my hour has not yet come, because Mary also could have said, I know his dad. And I did him a favor a number of years ago. So I, I think he owes me at least one. So they stand there. Jesus says, take those water pots, fill them with water to the brim, and take some and dip it in care. And you know the story comes out. And then John says it this way. This beginning of his miracles he did in Cana, the first sign. Now I've got to ask you something. You read the book of John, and there are other signs in the book of John, aren't there? What are some of them? The nobleman's son, Lazarus, feeding the 5,000. Walking on the water, the blind man. I mean, that's a real sign. You, you had to be there for that one. Just, I've imagined it a thousand different scenarios, and I can only still come up with... <clears throat> just... <laughs> oh. Now, I, I can go for any one of those signs and just say, real sign, yeah, real sign. Changing water into wine? I mean... Why would you want to introduce your ministry to the whole world, the first sign of your ministry, changing water into wine, knowing in the 20th century how Pentecostals and Baptists are going to feel about that? His ways are past finding out. They are unsearchable. And the moment you think you've got God figured out, you don't have him figured out. Now, here's our problem. Our problem is that I'm believing that quantum physicists are far more open to this world that God has created than theologians and evangelicals. That there is a world out there that they now are willing to say, we don't understand quantum. They don't go to quantum and say to quantum, you are this and you are that. They go to quantum and they say, tell us, who are you? If, if you could do that with, with the natural world that God has created. Look, the, the right of Hebrew says... The, the, the builder of the house has greater honor than the house. And if you are impressed with the house, you, you ought to get real impressed with the builder. The house. 
the created world, the world that we are just now beginning to understand that we don't even begin to understand it. We're looking at it, and we're looking at, we're looking at stars, for instance, that God has put into space. And when God wanted to, to get Abraham to understand the reality of who he was and the greatness of the promise that he made to him, when he was talking to him, he was inside a tent. And he said to Abraham, son, I got to share a couple of things with you, but I got to get you outside your tent so I can show them to you. And there are a number of us who are in a tent and God's talking to us, but you can't see stars through your tent. You got to come, look at somebody say, you got to come outside. God's bigger than your tent. He's bigger than the Pentecostal tent. He's bigger than the charismatic tent. He's bigger than the third wave tent. He's bigger than the Baptist tent. Great, big God. Our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, is one of the smaller galaxies of the more than 50 billion galaxies that exist with hundreds of billions of stars in them. Our galaxy. If you were to drive your car from Earth, if you could do it, from Earth to Pluto, at 65 miles an hour, it would take you 7,000 years to get there. Traveling at the speed of light, you could be there in five hours. But to cross from one side of this galaxy, the Milky Way, to the next, to the other side, a hundred thousand light years. It's big. And it's just one. Our sun, one second of energy from a sun, one burst of energy in a second from the sun, when it reaches Earth, has more energy in it than all of mankind has produced since man has been on Earth. 92.5 to 93 million miles from space, 330,000 miles in diameter, 860,000 times the size of planet Earth. If you, were to put, if you were to put planets our size in the center of that sun, it would contain 1 million planets the size of our planet. 29 million degrees Fahrenheit at its core. Guy who measured is no longer around. But... It's hot up there. And God made it. And whenever the, the people of God want to look at issues that are going on in their life and they need miracles and they need God to do something, they don't start out talking to God about how much they love them and all that. They look at the, they look at the greatness of God. They say, Lord, you created the heavens and the earth and the stars and the sun and all it contains. And now, behold, they're threatening. Great big God. And we're just beginning to understand that. There's this other part about, about quantum that really intrigues me. It's that when you take two energy pieces or particles set in motion in the same energy field, they tell us that you can move them an infinite distance apart. They've done it in the laboratory. I don't know how they work it out. Some of it's mathematical and others it's beyond me. But they say, as they set them into motion and they move them apart, the instant they change the direction of one, the other changes in that same instant. Instantaneously, bop, bop. Faster than the speed of light, speed of thought. I was in South Africa and I was standing looking at a, a sea animal in the aquarium and 
I'm staring at it because I can't figure out what it is. And I asked the guy next to me, I said, what is it? And, and he pointed at the, the logo on the top there, and I looked, and it said uh, South African rockfish. And I looked back at it, and it looked just like a rock. And I said these words to God. It was the dumbest thing I'd done that day. I said, God, that's the ugliest fish I'd ever seen. And instantly, I heard these words, didn't make it for you. And then rapidly following that statement was this phrase that I read earlier from, from Revelation. Thou art worthy, O Lord, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were created. There isn't anything down here created to give you pleasure. It was created to give God pleasure. If you get pleasure out of that, that's a secondary issue, maybe a tertiary issue. But it's irrelevant whether you get pleasure out of it or not. It's designed to give him pleasure. And I'm, I'm, I'm watching these things. I'm, I'm saying, God, what does quantum have to do with us? What does it have to do with the church today? In what way are we looking at a world that scientists are saying it is bigger than we ever thought it was? And one of the, one of the physicists is, is saying he is so confounded by the paradoxes that are going on, he has said, I wish I had never discovered this stuff. Because there's something about serving God, when you start walking in Him, and He starts taking you somewhere, eventually He's going to take you someplace you don't understand. And if you don't understand it, you can't explain it, which is what all your friends want you to do. Can you explain what's going on in your life? God's not looking for chess players. He's, he, he's not looking for folk with good taste. He's looking for folk who taste good. God, I don't know Greek. He says, don't worry about it. I don't know Hebrew. Don't worry about it. I don't know Eschatol. He said, don't worry about it. He says, but what I know about you is that you love me. And if you love him, you don't have to try to figure it out. I, I'm not on God's heart. I'm, I'm not there with my head on his chest saying, God, can you tell me about the ineluctable modality of the visible? No, sir. I'm not asking questions like that. Sometimes I'm just, I'm just on the floor, just, just like this, just, just like this, just on the floor, and and I'm just there. And can you imagine people coming into a church service, seeing you on the floor, and saying, "What's up with that?" Let me just, let me share a couple of things with you that Margaret Wheatley, as she began working through this, she, she described this as her growing sensitivity to the quantum world. Number one, she said, I struggled to remain aware of the system as a system and give up well-trained abilities to reduce and separate things as the route to understanding. She says, I concentrate much more on processes now, focusing on qualities rather than quantities. I'm paying more attention to things like patterns, direction, feel, and internal rhythm. 
four, she said, I don't personally spend time anymore on elaborate plans or timelines. Great things are possible, she says, number five, when we increase participation. Number six, she said, I no longer argue about what's real. I'm not talking about a theologian. I'm, I'm talking about a businesswoman who is looking at the world around her and understanding that it's a whole lot different than we thought it was. See, Newton said, if you can break it all up and understand the various pieces and then put it back together, you got it. But quantum says, can't do that. Quantum says, you got to understand it as a whole. You got to embrace the whole thing. You, see, our thing is, I want to understand it. See, in, in, um, in Greek, they taught us how to parse a word. You want to know what the word is? You parse it. What is it? It's a verb. It's present tense. It's second person plural. It's imperative. There are two ways to study birds. You can study it the way a biologist studies it. Go into the lab, cut it open, dissect it. There's the heart. There's the liver. There's the spleen. There's... But once you do that, you ain't got no bird. <laughs> There's another way to study birds, and, and that's with the ornithologist. You can go where the bird lives. Say, bird eats this. Bird does that. Bird flies here. Bird gets up this way. Bird does that. Bird does this. See, you can't parse it. You've got to live with it. See, and there are things in here we're trying to understand by parsing. But you can't, you can't parse this. You've got to say, God, I want whatever you got in here. And so you eat the whole roll. You eat the parts you don't understand. You eat the parts you don't like. You eat the parts you like. You eat the parts that make you feel good. You eat the parts that make you feel bad. You just get, I want that, that, that. It's not a cafeteria. You can't watch it. I want this, 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 carbohydrate load. You know, just, no, you got to take it all. And that's what God is saying to us. I want you to take it all. And part of quantum worship is that worship in the kingdom of God and in the experience of God isn't something that just goes on once in a while. It's going on all the time. And it's an experience that's taking place right now in heaven, wherever that is. And we believe it's somewhere. But wherever it is, there is a throne and one person sitting on the throne. And you can't really describe the throne. You just say it's like. It's like. What's it like? It's, it's, like, it's, it's like green and it's, it's like red and it's like white and it's, it's like. And, and what else? And, and well, there's some creatures around the throne who look like. They look like a cow. They look like a lion. They look like a... They just look like. And then, and then there are some others that got eyes everywhere. And all they say is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's all they say. They were created to say that. I'm, I'm with people on a regular basis who get tired because we sing a song too long. 
And I'm saying to you, but you don't understand. There are creatures in heaven who have been singing a song a long time. Again and again and again. It's holy, holy. And if you were to go there right now, that's what they'd be saying. And if you would ask them, why are you saying that their response to you would be the song? They weren't created to give explanations. They were created to say, holy, holy, holy. They're looking at Almighty God, who is the perfection of beauty. The one who dwells in the light whom no man hath seen nor can see. Who only hath immortality, the only potentate. The, the God who when Moses says, show me your glory, didn't show him anything but started talking to him about how good he was. And said, you can't stand it, son, so I'll put my hand over your face, hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cause all my goodness to pass by you. And Moses came back down off the mountain. They said, what's wrong? He said, I just saw God's backside, and I'll never be the same. His face was radiant with the glory of God, and didn't know it was radiant. He'd been around a God. When people see him, the response is to worship him. It's to say something to him. And you and I are connected in some way to other creatures who were set into motion in the same energy field you were set into motion in. So sometimes, and if you'll notice, in that, that text, they say, holy, holy, holy. It's like... God, we've been doing this. This is my imagination now, but it's good preaching. Just listen to it. My imagination, I, I see God on the throne, and I see these creatures who were just created to, to worship Him and adore Him and to love Him. And it, it's a call response. Holy, holy. And, and suddenly, God says, Oh, you want to see more than you saw the last time. And He... Shows his glory and they fall on their faces. And when they recover, they get up. And they look at him again and they say, Holy, 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 holy. And he smiles and he says, You didn't get enough the last time. And they say, Holy, holy. And he says, Yeah, they are. My brother John, when his, when his youngest son was real small, his youngest son used to like to play game on, and uh, he would come down the stairs in their house. He said one morning he was sitting reading the newspaper, and Matt was coming down the stairs, and he could hear the stairs squeak, so he knew Matt was coming. So he sat there waiting for him, because he knew Matt was going to say, Boo, Daddy, or something like that. And so he's waiting on him, and, and just before Matt said boo, John used his tongue to raise up his partial, so that his teeth on this side look like wolfman fangs, you know? So here's this four-year-old getting ready to scare his daddy. And so, just as he gets there, John raises the paper and he says, yeah! And Matthew's eyes got as wide as a tree full of owls, screamed and shot up the stairs. And John sat in the chair. He said, he said, man, I laughed until I couldn't laugh anymore. He said, about ten minutes later, I heard the stairs squeak again. He said, I knew he was coming back. He said, and I waited for him. He said, but he didn't get real close that time. I just heard this little voice say, 
Scare me again, Daddy. <laughs> you, you, you know what? I, I think worship, worship is coming to God and realizing last week God did something powerful. And I'd like to know if he could do it again. And so you're in his presence and you just start saying, holy, holy, holy. It's like looking through a kaleidoscope. You ever, you ever look through that thing, you shake it and you twist it and you say, whoa, look at that. That is beautiful. It's just an arrangement of colored stones. And you say to your friend, come here, come here, come here. We've got to see this. This is beautiful. Oh, my God, look at this. Don't shake it. No, don't shake it. Don't shake it. And you say, oh, you shook it. You lost it. And you say, oh, but the one, oh, this is even prettier than the one I had. You come into God's presence. You say, Lord, I love you. And I worship you. You are so good. Holy, holy, holy. And he says, okay. You keep on. I'm a flame. Oh, you can tell who the 24 elders are. There was a gold brick mark on their forehead. They're, all, they're always down. They're always down. No. Quantum. See, qu- quantum worship. Quantum worship is, is, is the sense in which you are a part of something bigger than where you are. Look, when, when we say the Spirit of God begins to move in the church, we're, we're singing one of these songs. We believe that the kingdom of God is here among us. Can you understand? You can sing some songs long enough until you believe. And the moment you believe, you step out of that dimension called time and space. You move into the dimension called the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, you are surrounded by an innumerable company of angels. You have come no longer to a mountain that can be burned with fire, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to an innumerable company of angels who are saying, Holy! 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 And the next thing you know, you have this... You have this unquenchable urge to fall down on your face. But you don't because you don't know where it's coming from. And then you don't see anybody validating your urge. You know, say, man, I, I, I feel like kneeling down. You ever felt like kneeling down? You ever felt like in a worship moment just getting down and before God and just... Oh, God, just, you feel like doing it, but, you know, you want to say, you know, I don't want to make a scene. I don't, don't want to be obtrusive. Where's it coming from? Oh, you're set into motion in the same energy field. Those creatures are moving in. They saw something, and they fell. And you're supposed to, but you don't know. T.R. Deshadon said it this way, we're not just human beings having a temporary spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a temporary human experience. And so he said, the writer of Hebrews says, he says, let's approach this time with gratitude. Gratitude. 
to. And so you, you come in, you enter his gates with thanksgiving. You come in with, with gratitude. And Mary, for me, is this wonderful picture of quantum worship. Because there's another thing that quantum tells us. Quantum says that a butterfly can flap its wings in New Orleans and change the temperature in the Amazon. Butterfly? Hey, listen, if, if that incidental human being can affect something in the real world, what would happen if, if you and I just raised our hands in a moment of response to God? If, if a butterfly can change the temperature, is it possible that lifted hands can do damage to the kingdom of God because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God to the pulling down of the strongholds. Is it possible that clapping my hands can affect a change in the kingdom of darkness? Is it possible that doing like this can change something? Is it possible that when Moses held the rod up over his head that God fought for Israel? Is it possible that when Jehoash hit the ground three times with his arrows that God said to him, you got three victories just by hitting the ground? Is it possible that an arrow shot out of the window toward the east procured a victory for somebody? Lord have mercy. Oh yes. In the kingdom, in the area of quantum worship. Can you see them gathered in the room? They're all there. Simon has invited them to come. He's asked Martha, who is the culinary artist, to prepare the stuff. And it's all going on. Lazarus is there. Jesus is there. Everybody wants to see Jesus, and they want to see Lazarus because he raised him from the dead. And without any indicator, nobody asking for permission, into the room walks Mary, takes her alabaster box, doesn't say to Jesus, may I? Is it okay? Doesn't say to Simon the leper, would you permit me? She doesn't ask anybody's permission because she's not, she's not moved by permission. She's moved by something inside of her that is parallel to what the psalmist said. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? There, is, there, there will come a moment in your life when nobody can say thank you Jesus for you but you. Nobody can praise him like you can praise him. Nobody can celebrate him like you can celebrate him. And whatever your background is, whatever your concerns are, you come into his presence and you say, I got to do something. I, got, I just got to tell you how good you've been to me. I don't know what provoked her. I could, I could offer you some suggestions. I could say to you that here comes a woman who could say, I want to thank you for treating me like a human being. And not like a woman. Like all these other folks. I want to thank you for allowing me to sit at your feet and be one of your disciples. I want to thank you for not just tolerating me, but helping me with my own sense of self-esteem. I want to thank you that you raised my brother from the dead. I want to thank you that you did things in my life that I couldn't do for myself. I, I, and I want to tell you that, that what I have here that I am pouring out upon you, I had it set aside for, for my wedding night. For the man that I felt I would meet one day and love 
like nobody else, but I want to tell you something, Lord. I don't ever think I'm going to meet anybody like you. I don't think I'm ever going to meet anybody who will love me the way you've loved me. And so she just, she just crashes the party, dumps it on him, wipes it on his beard, on his hair, on his clothes, on his feet, on his hands. And telling him the whole while, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Just loving you. And the thing that got their attention before anything else was the Bible says, the fragrance filled the whole room. It just filled the room. It was a sensory experience. It was like the sound that filled the house. Now it's the fragrance that fills the room. And suddenly, the conversation stops. What's that smell? It rose above all of the scents of the spices and all the other things that, that Martha was doing so well. Here comes the smell going all over the room. Where's that coming from? It smells like nard. Who, who, what, what's going on? And then you look over there in that corner where Jesus is just sitting. He's not saying to, to Mary, people will talk. He's not saying, not here. You know, in your home, in the privacy of your home with your brother and sister, that would be much better. But, you know, people won't understand this kind of worship. They're not going to understand this. But he just sat there. And she just wiped it all over him. And then the critics came. They will always come. They will always come. And if you're concerned about critics, you need to settle the critic issue now. You've got you to gotta settle it now. Because eventually, one of them is going to say, why this waste? And they're going to find a greater reason for doing something with your worship than worshiping him with your worship. And they will say to you, this, this is a year's wage. We, we could have sold it and given it to the poor. And here's the problem, church. People aren't concerned about the poor. They're concerned that you won't go overboard in your worship. And they're trying to stop you from doing it by giving you some social reason. And I love Jesus' response to the social reason. He said, hey, poor. He says, you will always have them with you. And whenever you want to, say whenever you want to. Whenever you, whenever you want to, you can do whatever you want. He said, but you need to understand something. You're not going to have me all the time. You know what I say? I say there are moments when, when God comes to church. You, when you come to church on a Sunday, the Bible says where two or three of you gather together, there I am in your midst. When, there are times when God comes to church. He just comes to How was service? God, it was wonderful. God came to church. It was wonderful. But then there are times when God comes to church. And when God comes to church, that ain't the time to worry about the poor. That's not even the time to worry about the clock. It, none of that stuff is, what's going on here? God came. Can I, can I ask you a question? What do you think the guys and gals who were not in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, what do you think happened when they heard what took place and they weren't there? The scripture says, above 500 brothers witnessed his resurrection. 120 at the end of the day. Where were those 380? And what did the folk who were there say to the folk who weren't there? What happened? Oh, I can't tell you. Just, uh, I, I, I can't, I just cannot tell you what happened. See, because the fire's gone and the sound is gone and you just got a few folk who, who are, you know, just kind of like this. 
Well, what in the world happened to him? Who? I, I don't know. You remember his first miracle was wine. But what happened? I can't explain it to you. You should have been here. You should have been. Look, I, I don't want, when, when God comes, like you said, I don't want to be in the should have been here group. I want to be in the been here. I want to be in the I'm here group. I, I, I want to be there when, when God comes. I want to be there. I said, I heard the sound when it first came. I saw the first flame of fire. I heard the first guy speak in tongues. I was there. I don't want to miss it. Would you look at somebody and say, I don't want to miss it. You're always going to have an opportunity, but, but when Jesus comes, that's what the songwriter said, when Jesus comes, the tempter snare is broken. When Jesus comes, all tears are washed away. He takes the gloom and he fills the night with gladness. For all is changed when Jesus comes to stay. I'm not interested in a visitation. I want him to live in my house. I don't want to just come and say, Joseph, can I spend the day with you? No, sir, you cannot spend the day with me. We have a room here prepared for you. We got a table here for you. No day. This is it, right here. This is your house. And we've been making room for it. Here comes Mary. And she's putting all this stuff on it. And they're talking about it, but she's still putting it on it. And somebody's saying, why this waste? Can I tell you something? Nobody knows what your reasons are for praising him. We sing a song at home, when I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up and turned me around, how he placed my feet on silent ground, it makes me want to shout. it takes. Maybe it doesn't take that much for you, but when I think about the Lord, I, I didn't say when you think about him, I said when I think about it, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. When I think about him, how he picked me up more than one time. He didn't just pick me up once, but he picked me up again, and again, and, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. And he turned me around. I said, he turned me around. He turned me around. He turned me around. And, and when he turns you around, and places your feet on solid ground. You, you, you've got to say something to somebody. And, and if you don't say something, you are going to explode. 
How you doing? Have you ever been in a church where you came to explode? Have you ever been somewhere that they used to sing a blues song that went something like, I wanted to holler, but the town was too small. There are moments in my life when I want to say, thank you, Jesus, and it'll, it'll be okay. And then there are moments when I want to say, oh, you know, I just can't, I can't find a word to describe it. It's just, and glory won't do. It's just like, whoo, oh, yo, oh. And, and then your body gets into it. If you've got something that don't affect your body, you need to get more. doesn't affect your mind, you need to get more. She was slathering that stuff on him. And he was saying, leave her alone. She's a quantum worshiper. He said, she doesn't know it. But what she is doing, she's anointing me against the day of my burial. Her worship is going beyond her thanksgiving. Her worship is moving into the prophetic dimension. Her worship is moving into the unseen dimension. It's moving into the future. It's not just here. It's out there. And I'll tell you something else. Her worship is so quantum that what she is doing right now, whenever anybody talks about the gospel, they're going to have to talk about her. Gotta t- you, 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 can't, you can't talk about You can't talk about the gospel Without talking about what she did And she's slathering it on him Look, and here's the challenge that I want to, to tell you Look, when you When Jesus and everybody else Left the room Only two people smelled like perfume Jesus And Mary You know why? You can't worship him without getting some on yourself. And, and secondly, secondly, if you do it right, it's going to get messy. Oh yeah, it's going to get messy. Look, have you ever had a moment when, you, when you're just driving down the highway? You're on your way to work. You, you have gotten all cleaned up, got your hair combed, got your makeup on, and everything is just right, and you're headed to work, going down the freeway, pop one of those cassettes in, and you start listening to the song of the Lord, and pretty soon you hear him say, I love you, girl, and you say, I love you too. And he said, yeah, but I really love you. You say, I really love you too, but God, I'm on my way to work. Don't mess me up, all right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and, and all of a sudden, he just comes and he overwhelms you with his love. And you forget about looking pretty because you have now understood he don't want worshipers with good taste. He wants worshipers who taste good. And, and you, just, you just forget about the makeup. You, you forget about where you are and you start driving. When you come to yourself, you don't know if you're in the right lane or the wrong lane. And somebody looking at you driving like this and you tears streaming down your face. You get out of the car. Somebody looks at you. Girl, what happened to you? And the best you can say to them is you wouldn't understand. Lord, Mary gave you 
price of her thanksgiving summed up in an alabaster box. But David said to us, the sacrifices of God are broken spirits and a contrite heart. And that when the fountains of the great deep were broken up, the heavens were opened. Well, I pray that in these days of fresh oil and new wine, you would take us into a new place of worship that is not encumbered by what people think about us, encumbered by self-consciousness, encumbered by dignity, but laden with desire. The Holy Spirit, break through tonight. Break through to us. When it seems like we don't know how to get through to you, you know where we are. And even if we don't know how to articulate it with words, you said that you would make intercession for us with groanings that are too deep for words. Could you forget for just a moment that you're a senior pastor and just say, I'm just a child. I'm a lamb. And I need you to touch me. I'm not here to get more information. I'm here to get you. Would you resolve tonight that you won't go away from this place without taking something precious that you have and just dump it all over him, get it on his clothes, get it on his hair, on his beard, on his hands, on his feet. And would you realize that in the moment you seek to get it on his feet, you've got to get down where his feet are. You can't stand and put stuff on his feet. And it's hard for him to reject somebody who falls at his feet. Mary fell at his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Jesus left the room with a garment soaked with the perfume of worship. He left the room with the head soaked with the perfume of worship. Went into the garden of Gethsemane and prayed until sweat and blood rolled down his face. And as it did, he could still smell the fragrance of Mary's worship. He went into Pilate's hall and he was beaten 
but because he said, she has anointed my body. Whenever his head would drop, he could smell Mary's worship. When he walked along the, the course, the Via Dolorosa, dragging a cross that weighed more than he did, every breath he would take would still give him Mary's worship. The soldiers wanted to cut his robe up. But somebody said, let's gamble for it. And one man took it. And the whole while he walked home with it, he kept asking the question, what's that smell? What's that smell? He couldn't figure it out. And when he walked into his house, I can imagine his wife saying, what was it like? Most unusual thing I ever saw in my whole life. He said he was God. At first we didn't believe it, but I think, I think he was more than we thought he was. What's that in your arms? I got lucky. I won his robe. She said, it's beautiful. And then once again, the fragrance filled the house. And she said, what's that smell? We want the world to worship. We want them to inquire. And the scripture says, be ready to give an answer to everyone who would ask. Wouldn't it be wonderful if they could say, what's that? smell I don't know if I could do that or not but I love the song that says you don't know the cost of my oil you don't know the cost of my praise you don't know the cost the oil in my alabaster box. David said to Arana, God forbid that I should offer him something that cost me nothing. If you're looking for a costless worship, I don't think you're going to find it here. Would you do this for me right now? Just take your hands like this and say, Lord, this is my dignity. And this is a safe place. And so in this week, I'm going to release my dignity. And I'm going to get my deliverance. Just turn your hands.